live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Thanks to Scott Warris for filling in for me for a couple days last week. Yeah, I was um, pretty much under the weather on Tuesday. It's the last show, and I... I just decided I wasn't doing anybody any favors, not you, not my coworkers, and not me, by trying to power through Wednesday, even though I, I was feeling better by Wednesday. But uh, So I took that day off and then spent a couple days um, in Las Vegas. This is it for vacations for me for a few months, but it was fun. My my niece, and if you're a regular listener of this program, well, my niece, she's 21 years old, so I've been doing this for 22 years. So if you go back all the way to the beginning, you, you remember when Sydney was born, very proud of her. She's a junior at San Diego State, and my brother decided, and I think Sydney had been planning this since she was about 12 or 13, she always wanted to have a 21st birthday party in Las Vegas. So now whether she planned that with her father, her uncle, and her aunt, I don't exactly know. But we 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 went out there, and Sydney flew in from San Diego. So we spent the weekend uh, as a family together in, in Las Vegas and just had a very good time, took her out to some nice restaurants and, and just had a lot of fun. It was pleasant. But it must be fun because my brother is already planning the second annual Sydney Wagner 21st birthday party in Las Vegas. So he's already starting to plan that. But we had a, had a good time, and it's, uh, of course, always nice to get back and 42 degrees outside and seven-day forecast looks like moderate weather and all maybe spring is on the horizon and of course lots of stuff occurring i, I was mentioning to eric bilstead off the air that i um i you know i i mean i understand it, it big breaking news stories and one of the things that we do here at tmj is we cover the breaking news stories and my job is to talk about them i i will say this we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about what happened at you know the at Miller Brewing last weekend, I I just having done this as long as I have, I, I will say this: these these situations of workplace violence or the mass shootings they they wear on me. They are very very frustrating because, d- despite everybody's best intentions, we're we're all very frustrated that there seems to be nothing we can do to to stop those. It's just kind of the reality. And whenever we have this conversation, you have people talking about the the usual suspects here we we need more gun legislation etc cetera, etc cetera. like that would have made any difference um, we'll, we'll discuss the whole thing but very very frustrating i want to start off though with a story that happened saturday and it i lump it in the category of this is why we cannot have nice things this is why we cannot do nice things for people don't know if you saw the story but there's what what happens is about five o'clock Saturday evening. There's uh, an older model, like they think it's like a 1970s Buick LeSabre or something like that. Jordan, who's producing the show for me today, the Buick LeSabre. My first car, first car I got to drive was a 1968 Buick LeSabre. So that shows how far back this car has to go. Uh, Do you know? No offense, is it like a grandpa's car? Well, he, well, it wasn't. 
No, I had a, I, I, I had a grandpa's car, too. It was like I, that I, I inherited all this stuff from my parents. And so I, I had a Chrysler Newport. That was really a grandpa's car. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was a sedan. You know, I mean, it, it was it was a sedan. But, yeah, you're, okay, you're a 16-year-old kid. Your parents give you this car to drive. I mean, what are you going to do, complain about it? No, thanks a lot. But anyhow, it, it's – I'm just bringing this up because if you're talking about a 1970-something LeSabre, you're talking about a car that's really, really, really old in any event. So um, off of I-41, between like Ozaki County and Washington County, there, there's Holy Hill Road, if you can picture that. And southbound on the freeway, kind of right by the, the ramp, there's this car, a 70-something Buick LeSabre, parked by the side of the road. And there's a guy standing next to the car with a gas can. All right. Now you see that, and and what's what do you immediately think? Oh, the guy that's driving the crappy car, it's kind of died, it's out of gas, what, whatever. Well, here's what happens: man driving past sees this, sees the person by the side of the road, and decides to do what I think we would all like to think that perhaps we would do. He decides to stop and to help. So he pulls, now the car is parked on the side of the freeway, he pulls in front of of the car, and he stops, all right? He's going to, you know, offer assistance. You need a cell phone, you need a ride to a gas station, I don't know, but he's going to, he is going to do what you think would be the right thing, and you'd like to think the better range of our nature would such be that we would all like to do this. So what happens? Man pulls up stops his car in front of the car that appears to be disabled or presumably out of gas. The guy with the gas can walks up to the side of the car, the good Samaritan who has parked his car in front. The man with the gas can pulls out a gun, sticks the gun in the face of the good Samaritan who is pulled over to help him. At that point in time, apparently the the robber's partner who is in the, the beater car you know, drives away. So there's nothing wrong with the car. And the good Samaritan is forced out of his vehicle at gunpoint, and the guy with the gas cap can gets into the car and drives off. So you have an armed carjacking precipitated by the fact that somebody stopped to help somebody else out by the side of the road. And at least um, as far as I know now, they, they don't they they don't they have not apprehended the person who was involved in this Washington County authorities i mean the, the sheriff appropriately so really hacked off. He says, criminal predators like this need to be held accountable for their actions. The sheriff's office will be utilizing all resources available to us. In this case, a firearm was pulled on an innocent victim who was only trying to be a good Samaritan to the very individuals that wronged him. We want to ensure these individuals do not victimize anyone further, and that's why we are asking for the public's help. Okay, so, but but you understand the circumstances. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I labeled this segment, this is why we cannot have nice things. The driver in question, the Good Samaritan, was only trying to be a decent human being. Gee, there's this car that's stranded by the side of the road. I'm going to stop. I'm going to see if I can help him. I'm going to offer to give the guy a ride to a gas station or whatever. He's doing the right thing. And for his help, he gets a gun stuck in his face, 
and he gets carjacked. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I ask this question seriously. Given where we are in this community, in this state, in this country, can you stop to help render assistance? Or are you simply being a chump if you do that? Have we gotten to the point now where if you see somebody stranded by the roadside, the only reasonable thing to do is to call 911 and say, hey, there's a car that's stuck by the roadside. But have we gotten to this point where if you decide to stop and render assistance, you are essentially setting yourself up to be a victim? Would you still stop to help out? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you... I mean, this story is going to be front and center in my mind next time I see somebody broken down by the highway. And the question's going to be, gee, this looks like a normal situation, but I have to tell you something, I'm not sure I would stop. I'm thinking the response is, I'll call the police, I'll call 911, I'll report this, but I don't want to be the next guy that gets a gun stuck in his face and forced out of the car. Can we have nice things? Can we still help or have the predators... Have they taken over? What would you do? And what would you do in the future? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jordan is lining up the calls. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So very glad to have you with us. Tim on the west side. Tim, hello. Yes. Uh, yeah, I just called in and said my, my brother had this happen to him. Uh, he stopped, and, and he's a mechanic, and, and he had tools and everything with him. He saw a guy with a flat tire, so he stopped and helped him change the tire. And uh, when he was getting ready to go, the guy the guy grabbed his keys and pulled a knife on him. Or he said he had a knife. He didn't pull the knife. He said he had a knife. He said, now give me your wallet or I'll cut you to pieces, he said. And uh, my brother ended up fighting with the guy. And uh, after he went at it with the guy like three times, the guy just took his keys and threw them back at my brother and got in his car and left. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I mean, but right. I'm pretty careful about about scoping people out before I pull over to help. Yeah, but the thing is, you you did that's see that's the frustrating thing. You just, I mean, you just really never know. Okay, here's somebody who looks like they're down on the luck. They're standing by the side of the road on a Saturday night with a gas can. You want to help out, and it turns out they've got a partner back in the car and they've got a gun in their pocket. I, I mean, I don't mean to be a cynic, Tim, but I, I'm I I don't want to have somebody pull a knife on me or stick a gun in my face if I'm stopping to help. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, after hearing that, I'd be less likely to stop and help. Yeah, no. Th- thanks to call, and and that's why. I mean, I understand why the Washington County Sheriff is so honked off because, again, you're. This is, it. It's really, you know, it, it's taking advantage of when when you have people who say, "Okay, I'm going to stop. I want to help out. I'm going to display the better angels of my nature," and, and then it, it's taking advantage of that. Okay, let's go to some of our text, Jeff. Um, let's see, um, I'm driving down, I, if I'm driving down the highway, I'll stop to help. I, if I don't have my daughter with, if I have, except if I have my daughter with me, that's the only exception. I believe in karma because I help until it hurts. I guess I'm a, a chump. No, I don't, um, I, I don't. I don't know that you're a chump. You're trying to be, you know, you're, you're trying to do the right thing. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, um, I, in today's day and age, you, you just don't know what the right thing is, and there's so many predators out there. Jeff, I hadn't heard about the story. Normally, I'm the guy to stop and help, but I have to tell you, not anymore. Like you, I think I would report it, but not stop. Um, 
Yeah, it, that's, I mean, that's kind of, and it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the dynamic that is out there. Jeff, absolutely not, um, because I would be setting myself up. I'd call them the police, and I'd tell them that somebody needs uh, assistance. Um, Jeff, I think as a society, we can, we all we can do is to help continue to try to help people in need and not let the actions of a few idiots prevent us from being good Samaritans. Um, play the victim. You will be the victim. Well, I now keep in mind, I'm not arguing that you do nothing. Matter of fact, I have a text here that says, Jeff, helping is calling 911. Um, Jeff, I'm a 70-year-old widow who often drives alone. I stopped helping when my peop- when my husband passed away. I grab my phone and I call it in. And I guess that's, I, I think, I, the more I, I process this type of stuff, the more I, I think that, you know, that that's how, at least at the, this time in our society, in our country, that's how you have to kind of handle these things. And if you want to stop, that's fine. But you have to recognize there's people out there that are going to take advantage of you. And I have to be honest, as I'm sitting here processing this, I think, my default position is going to be, hey, you know, if I see somebody stuck by the side of the road, it's, and I don't know who that person is, I'm I'm going to call, I'm calling 911, I'll, I'll certainly report it, but then you let the authorities come by and handle it because they're going to be in a position to figure out whether it's real or whether it's a scam. You know, we've talked about variations of this before. I mean, I've told the story multiple times on the radio about how, you know, nowadays, you, you can't stop and offer people rides anymore. Remember, there was a story a couple weeks ago about a woman in a neighborhood who sees a, a young girl walking in the rain, pulls over, you know, asks her to get in the car. She'll take her to school. The kid, uh, I, I get it. That's how we've taught kids nowadays. Kid freaks out, you know, runs into school, says that there was some stranger who was trying to offer me a ride in the car. Well, as it turns out, the stranger was a woman in the neighborhood who was simply trying to give the kid a ride out of the rain. But, but. That's not how we raise people anymore. Nobody did anything wrong, but it just says you, you, you can't help out anymore because if you're the good Samaritan, on the one hand, your motives are always going to be questioned and people are going to be thinking, okay, are you the pervert that's going to be trying to grab the kids? And it's unfortunate because 99 times out of 100, it is going to be the good Samaritan wanting to help give the kid a ride. In this particular case, you know, my guess is 95 times out of 100, it is going to be the car that's broken down on the side of the road and, you know, you'd, you'd like to the golden rule you'd like to you know you'd like to treat others as you know you would have yourself be treated i get all that but if you've got people that are out there looking to exploit your willingness to help out maybe it's just time to make that call to 911 this is jeff wagner Take a couple days off. You come back and there is a depressing sameness in some respects to some of the stories you see. Female pedestrian killed in hit-and-run accident on South Side. Police looking for Jeep Cherokee. Uh, Milwaukee police investigating a, uh, this would have happened, uh, what, yesterday, I believe, 7.30 p.m. Milwaukee police investigating a hit-and-run that killed a 38-year-old woman near the intersection of South First and South Chase Avenue on South Side there. A dark-colored Jeep Cherokee traveling northbound struck the woman as she walked across the street around 7.30 p.m. And then, as predictably, unfortunately, happens around here, the vehicle fled from the scene. Police attempted life-saving measures but were 
unsuccessful. So the more the more things change, the more things stay the same. And it's just it, it seems like on a regular, just on an almost daily basis, you have one of these hit and run situations and more and more often nowadays they're resulting in fatalities, making it again dangerous to even try to cross the street, which of course then begs the question about what what is it we're going to do? When are we going to finally wake up and recognize that we, we need to do more than just talk about this problem of the hit and run drivers and the reckless driving and the people blowing through red lights? And we have to start getting serious about it. And, and it, it's more than putting in red light cameras cameras and sending people $50 tickets, you know, once they show up, it's like aggressively catching people who are driving recklessly. It's taking their cars. It is prosecuting them to the fullest extent of the law, and it's moving forward. Other interesting story, over the weekend, you had um, an SUV driver who um, crossed travel lanes, turning south onto Broadway, and ended up getting smashed into by the hop. The story from the driver was that he he didn't he didn't see the 83,000 pound streetcar. Now I I, I am not a fan of the hop. I continue to believe it is this giant white elephant. I continue to get frustrated with the coverage that always says, well, it's exceeding ridership expectations. Well, yes and no. The ridership expectations were all based on the premise that we'd be paying for it. And everybody understands now that if you make people pay even 50 cents for a ride, the ridership is going to absolutely plummet. It's also made navigating around downtown a lot more difficult because, again, it's it's tough to figure out what lane you're supposed to be in and what lane the, the streetcar is supposed to be in. I'm not I'm actually a little bit surprised that there haven't been more car hop collisions because people do get confused. Needless to say, I think that's part of the big plot here. Let's try to force people out of our cars, make people ride the hop. Thankfully, nobody hurt in this particular situation. When we come back, people sticking up for street gangs. I'll explain. We're going to talk more about this in the 2 o'clock hour of the program today. Um, but the, the breaking news story from just moments ago, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, the reports are that she is going to suspend her campaign like Pete Buttigieg did yesterday. She's going to be announcing she's dropping out of the race, and she's going to be endorsing Joe Biden, which is um, – I, I, I don't, Buttigieg has not endorsed yet, I don't believe, but uh, he, he can't, I mean, here, here's the reality, and, and I, I have to respect people for, for knowing when enough is, is enough. Pete Buttigieg, I, I think, ran a, a very, very credible campaign for somebody who came from absolute nowhere. He also, I think, realized after South Carolina that he wasn't going to get the Democrat nomination. It, it just... This was not the year for him, and, and you can argue about why that was, but but he was not going to emerge as the alternative to Bernie Sanders. His campaign was running low on money, and rather than simply go through with the Super Tuesday race, where you, you know, it's not going to change the dynamic much. It's not like, I, I think they're looking at internal polling, and they're realizing, hey, there's not going to be this. Plus, I think Pete Buttigieg realized that, from the perspective of the Democrat Party, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders, I think, can't win. 
and is probably, if he's at the top of the ticket, going to you know take down a lot of Democrats with him. So Buttigieg says, "Look, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to clear. I'm going to clear the field because people who might be inclined to vote for me probably aren't going to vote for Elizabeth Warren or for Bernie Sanders. It's more likely to go somewhere else." Amy Klobuchar, I think, did kind of the same math. I liked Amy Klobuchar. I I did. I, I thought she was. When I watched the Democrat debates, I thought she was a refreshing, moderate voice. I think, again, Amy Klobuchar, if you're saying to me, okay, Jeff, you've got to pick some Democrat on that stage to vote for for president, I, I think Amy Klobuchar would have clearly been somebody that I gave a lot of consideration to if that was the, you know, if that was the parameters. But the same thing was true. She, she, she ran a credible campaign. I think that she would make a strong vice presidential candidate if somebody like uh, Joe Biden goes ahead to get the nomination. But I think Klobuchar did the same considerations and the same math that Pete Buttigieg made, which is that, hey, this isn't my time. I'm not going to win this. And the longer I stay in, all I do is I siphon votes away from somebody who might be able to, you know, derail this Bernie Sanders Express. Because, I mean, keep in mind, so far what's been going on is Sanders has been, he's been amassing votes and amassing delegates, but he's been doing it with, with you know, by getting 25 or 30 percent of, of the vote in the Democratic primary because all the other votes get spread out. You take away those, you know, the, the votes that Blue, um, that Buttigieg or that Klobuchar were, you know, were, were siphoning away, and maybe you can find a, a more moderate Democrat candidate, whether that's Joe Biden or Mike Bloomberg. I mean, it remains to be seen. But I think that they've recognized they've gone as far as they can. And you know what? I, I give them credit. I think they both ran classy sort of races, and they recognized that this was not going to be the time. And my guess is... You're going to hear more from Mayor Pete. You're going to hear more from Amy Klobuchar. And like I say, depending on how the nominating process works, I would not necessarily be surprised if Amy Klobuchar emerges as a potential vice presidential nominee on a Biden ticket, if Biden were to be the one that gets it. But we'll continue to talk about that. I want to talk a little bit more about Super Tuesday, you know, what's going on in the Democrat race, and, and you know, can can a tax on the wealthy, however you define that, could that really pay for all the giveaways that Bernie Sanders was going to have? We're going to be discussing all of that again in the 2 o'clock hour, but that's the breaking news story. All right, this story got swamped with the news of the, the horrible thing that happened at the Miller Brewing Company on, on Wednesday. But earlier that day, the big announcement was a massive drug raid conducted by the Milwaukee Police Department and the FBI, and I assume the DEA was involved, and um, a a number of of local agencies as well. What happened, and and I'm a little bit sensitive to this because this is what I used to do for a living back in, in the day. I mean, my job as head of the Organized Crime Drug Task Force was to go after major league drug dealers and organized crime members and things like that. A federal grand jury had apparently returned an indictment naming 24 people. This targeted a violent street gang called the Buffum Meineke Boys. And so what they did on Wednesday morning, they went out and they executed a series of raids against members of this gang and their drug houses. Now, let me explain to you how this works. 
And this has not changed since I used to do this. What you do, the grand jury returns the indictments after presumably a lengthy investigation. You seal them. You don't make them public. And then what you do is you get search warrants and arrest warrants, and you go out and you hit the houses. You hit the houses early in the morning. Why do you hit the houses early in the morning? Because you want to catch the people that are in there when they are asleep. You want to make sure they're home. And you want to get them groggy because you don't want to have this turned into an armed gun battle because, you know, with a lot of these really dangerous people, that's what's going to happen. So you I mean, and I've been part of this. I've been with the SWAT teams. You get together at four o'clock in the morning and then 6 a.m., which is normally when the warrants are good. Boom. You know, you, you go in. And, and you want the element of surprise because, again, you don't want them destroying evidence and you don't want them shooting at cops. That That's just the bottom line. So they execute a series of uh, search warrants and arrest warrants in various Milwaukee neighborhoods Thursday morning. They arrest 17 of the 24 people that they are looking for. Now, I, I did not have the opportunity this morning to run the rap sheets of every one of the 24 that got indicted. But I'm, I'm look. there's seven they missed. They got 17, and they're still looking at seven. The, the pictures that the police and the FBI have put out appear to me to be mugshots. I am willing to bet all the money in my wallet, Jordan, against all the money in your wallet. And I just got back from Las Vegas, so I've got some money in my wallet. I am willing to bet all the money in my wallet versus all the money in your wallet that if you were to look at the 24 members of this violent street gang, the Buffum Meineke boys, my guess is I would say at least 90% have various records. I do not think these are a bunch of criminal justice virgins that the FBI went out and indicted. If I were to say 90% have criminal records, would you want to take that bet? I'll take that bet. You'll take you. Th- no, no, no. You think that you think that I'm saying that at least nine out of ten have criminal records. Oh no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm of not course not. Because you're not an idiot. Of course, they, these are these are members of a violent street gang who have, my guess, been through the criminal justice system multiple times. All right. So, all right. So these are dangerous people. They execute the search warrant. I sent out a tweet about this before I left for Las Vegas. They recovered 53 firearms at the various houses. I was looking at the guns. And now, again, my guess is that the vast majority of people who got arrested are not legally able to own guns because they're felons. 53 guns come out of these various drug houses. There were enough guns to start a small sporting goods store or equip a small army or a Milwaukee street gang, 53 guns. They took more than 900 grams of heroin. They took cocaine, um, several kilo, let's see, kilo of heroin, that's 2.2 pounds, five kilos of powder cocaine, um, quarter kilo of crack cocaine, marijuana, $300,000 in cash. All right, so you, you get the picture. Violent street gang, bunch of thugs, bunch of gangsters, drug dealers, armed to the teeth. Um, all right, not the type of people that you would want to have in a particular neighborhood, right? Now, you would think that the general response to this would be to applaud the FBI, applaud the Milwaukee Police Department. Thank God that we have people who are out there trying to get these dangerous gangster thugs 
off the street so they can stop peddling poison in our community, so they can stop shooting up the street corners when they get in fights with rival gangs or whatever. You would think that that would be the response. And you would also think the response would be, God, they got 17 of the 24. We need to mobilize as a community, help get the other seven of these gangbangers off the street. Right? Well, if you would think that, you would not necessarily be correct. So today's TMJ4, I don't call that anymore, Channel 4. What is, what are they, what is TMJ4 News? They don't call themselves today's TMJ4 anymore. They have rebranded. All right. All right. So I wonder how much Scripps paid the consultants to say, we're not going to be TMJ4, today's TMJ4 anymore. We're going to be TMJ4 News. Is that it? Yeah, TMJ4 News. TMJ4 News. Okay. A lot has changed since uh, he went on vacation. Yeah, they right. Okay, TMJ4 News. Okay, that's that's the new branding. Okay, so TMJ4 News goes out, and they they start getting comments from people who live in the community about these raids. All right, so they quote one guy who moved into his home in the area where these drug raids were a month ago. He said he's concerned about the kids in his house during the drug raid. They were kind of scared and crying. It's just the fact that they had their guns out and stuff like that. My one daughter and niece said she heard a a huge boom, but they were scared. All right, then they quote a woman who is a, a minister at one of the area churches. She says... That um, the events, by the events, she means the law enforcement actions. She means kicking in the door of these drug houses. Says the events impact people who live nearby. Quote, I think there's a feeling of being targeted, of being heavily policed. She questions if this level of policing is necessary and fears it can have a lasting effect on the community. We're human beings. We have families. We're taking care of our children. I think that also needs to be considered heavily by police officers. I think there's a feeling of being targeted, of being heavily policed. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am having a give-me-strength moment. Let me get this straight. You've got this violent drug gang that is operating in an area neighborhood. They've got 50-some guns. They've got $300,000 in cash. They've got heroin. They've got cocaine. They've got crack cocaine. They've got $300,000 in cash. And did I mention they've got a whole bunch of guns? And the police go out. They raid these houses. And the comment is, I think there's a feeling of being targeted, of being heavily policed. Is this level of policing really necessary? And, gee, does this have a lasting effect on the community? To which I would say, Reverend, aren't you perhaps concerned about the effect that the the Buffum Meineke drug gang has on the community with the guns and the dope and the money. And if you're going to be outraged, should we perhaps not be outraged at the people who who are causing this problem in the first place? What is the FBI supposed to do? Go out one o'clock in the afternoon, knock on the door and say, excuse me, Mr. Drug Dealers, we were wondering, can you let us come in and can we take your firearms and your cash? This 
All I can say is, wow, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff, so the Reverend feels safer with the drug gang there versus the police doing their job, making arrests and making the neighborhood safer. Give me strength is right. I, and I, 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 was, I was looking at this, and again, this whole story got swamped under with the tragedy at, at Miller Brewing. But they're, they're, they're taking off members of a violent street gang, and you've got people that are standing in front of TV cameras saying, well, we're concerned about over-policing, for goodness sakes, and, you know, this is, I think we need to consider this. We're taking care of children. Well, all right, may, maybe you think of the effect that the Buffa Meineke street gang has on children in your neighborhood. Brian in River West. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just getting so out of hand. And apparently the drug deals that they're making are hush, quiet, quiet, and the guns they're blowing off are quiet. I just don't get the reactions from these people. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. There needs to be more of these. Well, well, exactly. And from the perspective of a police presence, yeah, look, in a perfect situation, you you don't want the police pulling up at 6 o'clock in the morning and banging in doors with SWAT teams. I understand that that can be a little bit traumatic, but you've got to get the people off the streets. Would you? Apparently, you know, some people would rather have the drug gangs continue to operate uh, than have them gone. I just, I swear to God, Brian, sometimes I don't understand. And I think, you know, they got to be seeing these people driving around with the, with the guns and the, sure. the, the drug deals. That's got to be more dramatic seeing it every day than having this happen once in a great while when they're coming to get you. And I just that this is the most stupidest thing I've ever heard. For the, even for her to be a, right. a reverend, to even say that, I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. You can't be that blind to this. It, it is. No, thanks for calling. I have a, and again, if you're, if you, I, I tweeted out a link to the today's, to, to the TMJ4 News story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. But it just, I'm thinking, okay, this, this is the reaction you have instead of, I'm sick to hell of these gangsters taking over our neighborhoods and poisoning our youth and endangering everybody else. I applaud the Milwaukee police. I applaud the FBI. I applaud the DEA. I'm glad we're here because we don't want to be trapped in these communities. Instead, it's, well, I'm worried about over-policing. What the heck? Let's talk to Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good Hi, afternoon, young man. Yes, sir. You know, here's the deal, Jeff. We, I'm, I'm proud of the I'm proud of the door kickers and Morales on this. And here's the deal: say they didn't, Jeff, and they under police, and now all of a sudden there's a shootout uh, yep. with the Buffum Street Gang, and a four year old girl gets killed again in her bedroom at night. One of the innocent ones, right. you know, doing whatever she's doing, and then all of a sudden, Jeff, there's you know, there's a few teddy bears and uh, a candlelight vigil and saying we got to stop the violence. The aldermen are supposedly going to be out there in the mayor. Right. But now they're trying to prevent stuff like that from happening, and all of a sudden they get ridiculed that way. So you know what? Jeff? At the end of the day, I think people don't. Some some people don't mind living in chaos. They they expect the chaotic and the lawlessness, and you know what? That, at the end of the day, maybe give them what they deserve. I don't know what to do from here moving forward, Jeff. You can't 
you can't help people who don't want to be helped. Well, I mean, you said, but, but no, but you, thanks, no, thanks, but no, but you, you can't, you can't throw in the towel. But you have to recognize there are people like this that look at that in the community. And, and you know, Tim, you're, you're exactly right. Because here, here would be my question to the lady that goes on today, on the, the that goes on Channel Four News. It's like, okay, what do you think? What do you think that they intended to do with those guns? I mean, why, why do you think they had this stockpile of guns enough to start a revolution in a small country? Why do you think they had them? These weren't firearms collectors. They were there to use them. And to your point, Tim, you're exactly right. What, what happens a lot of times is it, it's not just that the Buffa Meineke gangsters get into, you know, go to war with the brothers of the struggle or that was a street gang I prosecuted years ago or whatever. It's not just that the, that the gangsters shoot each other because you, you don't want to see any of that happen. But at least if that's the life you choose, that you're going to be a drug dealing gangster. OK, that's that, that's the life you choose. But what happens a lot of times, it's precisely the scenario you talk about, Tim. They, they just people start shooting indiscriminately and and they think that some rival gangster is sitting at a particular house and it turns out that they've got the wrong house it's two blocks over and you're exactly right it's the 10 year old girl who ends up getting shot no the, the police are heroes they are heroes and for people in the neighborhood not to be out there applauding if people want to be outraged you know what they should be outraged about it's that they should it's that these gangsters are operating in their community the police should be applauded oh thank you chief morales for coming in here thanks to the fbi thanks to the us attorney's office thanks to the da's office thanks to law enforcement for trying to help create an environment in our neighborhoods where we can raise our children without being afraid that they're going to be, I don't know, enticed into the world of drug dealing or drug using or that they're going to get shot on the streets because uh, these gangbangers go to war with each other. They should be applauding the police instead of saying, well, I'm worried about the effect of, of over this level of policing. <sighs> this level of policing. Again. I finished this segment the way I started the segment. Give me strength. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, did you, uh, did you ever watch the actor's studio inside the actor's oh, yeah. studio? Oh, yeah. yeah. It, you know, James Lipton, who used to report, just passed away at the age of 93. Really interesting story because... He really proves that there is kind of a second act in American life. He, he was 93 mm-hmm. and for born in New York, and he kind of kicked around. For, actually, until he was like 50 and 60 years old, he was a, he, he was kind of a struggling actor. I, I think his, his biggest role was he was on the, um, the soap opera The Guiding Light in the 50s. He played a surgeon for like 10 years. But that, that, that otherwise un, a pretty much undistinguished sure. acting career and he reinvented himself in the 70s when he was like in his 50s as a producer he was the guy jimmy carter's first inaugural in 77 his only inaugural the inaugural it was the first one that was televised you know where they have now they do it you know they have stars and stuff oh, yeah. he was the first one that did that and so that that kind of started his his real the second phase of his career like when he was in his 50s and he became a producer and then he went on to he would produce shows with bob hope and things like that and then he came up with this inside the actors studio thing in the 90s so he was already you know pushing 70 sure when he came up with the idea and and the the brilliance of it 
was he was a teacher at the at the new school, which is you know school for for actors and mm-hmm. stuff in, in New York. And this was at the time when when cable TV was starting to explode, and and you had the new Bravo Bravo network that had just started, and they were looking for programming, and he came up with the idea of let's let's market this, and you know, and of course, if you watched inside the actor studio, it was as bare bones as it could be. It was oh, him. Yeah. You know, and a, and a table, and then some some guests, and they ended up doing hundreds and hundreds of of eight, like eight or nine hundred shows, and he got all these stars that would come in, and so, but that he really started when he was like in his seventies, and it just, it just absolutely exploded. I'm embarrassed to say that when I heard he died, I wouldn't have guessed him to have been that old. Ninety three, yeah, no, you you wouldn't have. Do you remember the the thing? The thing that's I'm looking at the New York Times obituary of him, but the the thing that's really interesting is he. For people who didn't watch the show, the, the premise was he would just sit on a stage with with actors and actresses, mm-hmm. and they used to do extensive research. He had a researcher apparently, and they, and he'd get these people to open up. And he got he he was mocked viciously because people thought he was kind of he wasn't a hard edged interviewer. <laughs> I mean that's and and it, it, there's a Simpsons episode where they kill him. There, there's there's there, there's a Simpsons episode yeah. where they kill the, the character. And on Saturday Night Live, they used to just. I, I, Will Ferrell used to do this this thing yeah, the where satire, they just just yeah, satire, but yeah. but but I mean that that's this most sincere form of flattery. But the thing that was so cool is that he would end every show with the actors by by asking them three questions, and one was what was your favorite curse word, and the second was what is the profession that you would choose if you couldn't do this, or what's the profession you wouldn't want to practice? And then the final question that he would end every show with, he would say, if God exists, what would you like to hear him say after your death? And he never did, in, I was just, I, he never did interviews except one time. He apparently sat down with a French television host, and so they asked him, those three questions. It's the only time the guy ever did interviews. They asked him what his favorite curse word was. We'll let that one go. Um, <laughs> what is the profession you wouldn't want to have practiced? And he said, I wouldn't have wanted to have been an executioner. But then this is my favorite. They said, if God, and they, they turned the tables on him. If God exists, what would you like to hear him say after your death? And he said, you see, Jim, you were wrong. I do exist. But you can come in anyways. <laughs> I thought, what, a, what, what? Just a great line, you know. You were wrong, but you've had a good life. Come on yeah, in anyways. In, yeah. So James Lipton, uh, sail on, ninety-three years old. Uh, yeah, they they discontinued the the inside the actor studio. It moved from Bravo to some weird new cable network a year ago, and he didn't go with it. So I think it's still on, but there's new ones, but not with him. Um, uh, it went from Bravo to da 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 something like Ovaltine I feel or like something. You can still find some of those old ones. Ovation. Yeah, it moved from Bravo to Ovation okay. TV, whatever Ovation TV is. But yeah, oh no, they, no, they show them. They show them all the time. But if you're wondering who James Lipton is, um, that that's who it is. And and if God does exist, I, I hope there's room in heaven for him. His father was a beat poet. You know the um, like you know the Allen Ginsberg and stuff is you know like the like the beatnik type okay, of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jack Kerouac and things like that. Her, his father apparently that's his father was a, a member of the Beat Generation. No wrote poets. See hmm. all sorts of interesting trivia there. That's I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a font of useless information, but <laughs> but I, I, but James Lipton. It was just, it was an interesting sort of story. All right, all right. While I was gone, I, again I more the. The more things change, doesn't matter how much time passes. You get the same stories over and over again. Oh, another hit and run driving situation. Oh, another you know series of murders, etc. All right, I, I bring this up because 
I seriously wonder what the future of Mayfair Mall is going to be. Saturday night, well, here's the, here's the story, as reported in the Journal Sentinel. Wauwatosa police arrested three juveniles after a fight involving 35 people broke out Saturday night at the Mayfair Mall. Police say they responded to the mall around 7.50 p.m. The initial call said there were 15 people involved in a fight which escalated to 35 people at one point. Police did not receive any reports of injuries. The three individuals who were arrested received disorderly conduct citations and were released to their parents. All right. Mayfair Mall, of course, says... It has a policy where um, people under the age of 18 are not allowed to be in the mall after, what, like 3 o'clock or something on Friday and Saturday and Sunday nights. But, but yet you had 35 juveniles that were involved in a fight, three of whom were arrested and then immediately released. All right, I, I have a couple comments. Our number, by the way, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the future of Mayfair Mall? And if Mayfair Mall can't get a handle on the fights, the problems, the violence, I mean, is this mall doomed? Is Mayfair going to be the next Northridge unless they can figure out how to get a handle on the problem? And I'm going to tell you something. My answer is it is, because what they're doing now does not appear to be working. I also have a couple other comments. First of all, how can you have a fight with 35 people and you only arrest three? That's, that's, that's number one. What, what does that mean? 35 people in a fight, you only arrest three. Number two, you arrest three people who are involved in this giant brawl and you turn them over immediately to their parents. How is that accomplishing anything? That's number two. Number three, we do not know the ages yet of the people involved. But my guess is that it's, if you've got the three juveniles who were arrested, my guess is it's largely juveniles. Now, maybe this was adults duking it out as well. But if it was adults duking it out in this fight, you would have thought there had been adults arrested. My guess is a lot of juveniles congregating at Mayfair, which makes me wonder, if you're going to have this policy to keep kids out of the mall, why aren't you enforcing the policy that has kids out of the mall? Now, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe of the 35 people involved in the fight, only three were juveniles and the rest were adults. I doubt that's the case, though. Let's be honest. Seems like this policy against kids congregating in the mall is not being aggressively enforced. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mayfair Mall has a rich and valuable history in this community. Mayfair Mall, what was it? I think probably the first indoor mall. It's struggling now because, you know, we don't have a Boston store. You don't have Sears. You lose those anchor tenants. But I'm telling you, you know, what was the story two weeks ago? You have the kid that's carrying the gun that's shot by the Wauwatosa police officers after he pulls the gun. You have one problem after another with young people creating disturbances. And you start to wonder, all right, you know, how many more of these things are going to have to happen before people realize, hey, maybe we want to take our shopping business somewhere else. 
Is Mayfair in trouble? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And in particular, if you are a Mayfair shopper, you know, what are you, what do you see out there? And are you concerned about your safety if you go? Because it sure seems like they do not have a handle on violence involving young people at the mall. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. How you doing? Hi, Mike. What do you think? Well, you saw what happened in Northridge. You could take a ride down the, and take a look at Southridge because uh, the big store, Boston store, is gone. It looks just like Northridge in that one section of Southridge. And nothing's going to change. They're not going to do anything. Because the, the as far as I'm concerned, these kids that got these disorderly conduct tickets, I think the parents should have got the same ticket. Mm-hmm. Because that's the, what the Mayfair Mall is, what, what the law was. you got to have your parents with you. Mm-hmm. And the parents obviously don't care. And the mall's not going to do anything. They're not going to push the agenda with, with giving tickets to, to parents when it's their responsibility to, to be with them to begin with. Right. And then if it gets to the police department, uh, you know, and the mayor and stuff, they're going to shut it down too. Well, I mean, so what's I, the point? Well, th- I mean, right, shut down all the malls. Well, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, that that's that's sort of like what you're looking at now. And again, I, again, I'm struck. You you got a 35 person fight. How can you only give three citations? I mean, I mean seriously, how can you give three citations? Wouldn't you think you'd be given 35 citations? Secondly, if it's kids involved. You know, you, you turn around and turn them back over to the parents. Okay, what has that accomplished? The answer would be nothing. But bigger picture about this, I mean, if the idea is we're supposed to keep kids out of the malls because, you know, we, we want to provide an environment where shoppers feel safe, doesn't seem like they're doing a very good job of that. And like I say, this is not an isolated instance. You, you had the, the shooting, what, two weeks ago. You have problem after problem. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talking text line jeff my wife and i saw a movie at mayfair it was complete chaos with kids totally out of control nobody did anything and when we left them all we fortunately had police with us in the parking lot because i believe that they have a sub station there jeff hope they get a handle on it i like shopping there a lot i would miss it terribly yeah it's there's no question about it mayfair is an institution but it is a fragile institution you've seen that with other area shopping centers and I guess my question is, if you're going to have a policy to keep kids out of the mall, how does a fight involving 35 people who I'm assuming are primarily kids, how does that happen? 855-616-1620. Tell you what, let's take a quick break. Back with more calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Matt in Oconomowoc. Hi, Matt. Hi, how's it going? Good. Okay, I, I, I seriously, I, I grew up going to Mayfair. Now, I was a North Shore kid, but Mayfair has been an institution. I seriously wonder how much longer it can continue if this kind of crap keeps happening. Yeah, um, I was actually there on Saturday with my kids. We left about 3.30, and we could just tell that it was time to leave, you know. started more and more kids coming in. It started just seeming rougher and rougher, you know, and it just felt like it was time to get out of there. Okay, now when you say, okay, so you're there Saturday. When you say more and more kids coming in, you're talking about, you're talking about unescorted juveniles, right? I mean, you're talking about 15, oh, yeah. 16, 17-year-old yeah. kids, yeah. Yeah, I thought they had that rule there, and I even said it to my son. I'm like, 
don't they have a rule where they're not supposed to be with without adults? And they were running around this one store. There was like probably 30 of them, maybe 25 in there. And it was just this huge group. And I'm like, where? And then we saw security and they walked by and didn't do anything. And I mean, the kids weren't doing anything bad, but it was still like, right. they see, it just felt like it was time to get out of the mall. Well, and, and obvi- I mean, thanks for calling me. And I, obviously it, it was. And I guess, again, I, I raised this question. If, if this is an ongoing problem, now look, I understand. Let's, let us be honest. Let's talk about the elephant in the room here. There is a racial component to this. And part of the concern is whenever they get aggressive with trying to enforce their policies, there's some people who come up and say, okay, you're targeting this type of, of shopper or that type of person, which is why you need to apply the policies even-handedly across the board. But if you're going to have a policy that says no escorted juveniles in the mall after whatever it is, 3 p.m. or 5 p.m., I think it's 3 p.m., then, then you got to enforce it. And I, I think almost everybody would understand that for the mall to survive, what you need is you need it to be a place where people, especially people with disposable income, feel comfortable walking around and shopping. And the idea of groups of 20 or 30 unescorted minors running around um, you know, in various groups that that doesn't make the shoppers for, feel more comfortable, and, and that's that that's just this reality of that. And then you have stories like a couple weeks ago where you have the kids that's there with a the gun, and that just all goes completely off the rail, and the kid ends up getting shot. I mean, th- these horrible sort of stories. But people can shop anywhere they want. That's just the reality. Vincent on the north side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? You know, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, the, the, the fact is, I'm surprised that uh, Mayfair hasn't uh, suffered as, uh, a, 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 as much as, as, as Northridge did, who had only one-tenth of the problem that Mayfair is having. It, it, this, isn't a, this isn't the first time that uh, 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 fights have broken out or, or gun issues or, or, or uh, cars broken into at, at Mayfair. This has been an ongoing thing for the last at least 10, 10 to 15 years mm. that they've been having these problems. And so, but I, I can't see how it's, it's holding on, uh, holding on this long uh, in the first place. But uh, the fact is, is that uh, I, I don't see them getting a hold of this issue unless they, unless they do total, total lockdown and have security on every door. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or I mean, I, I guess then my question, Vincent, would be if you're not gonna if you're not gonna enforce these policies, then should we should they just come out and say, okay, we're, we 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 either can't enforce it or we don't want to enforce it, so we're gonna let it be Lord of the Flies, and you know you know just you come over and ju- just be prepared because otherwise, if you have this policy and this stuff keeps happening, it makes you look foolish, I would think. I think so too. The fact is that how can you allow thirty plus kids to be in your food court? You know, when you have this policy that yeah. they're not that they're supposed to be escorted, the fact is security's not doing their job. So the fact is, if, if the security's not doing their job and and the mall's not enforcing it, uh, uh, the writing's on the wall. Yeah, no, I think I, I'm I, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. I mean, I think our first caller makes this interesting point. He said, "Hey, we're we're there during the middle of the day, and all of a sudden, you can just tell that the temperature inside the mall starts to change, and it's the influx of." unescorted kids who are, you know, running through the malls or whatever. And, and we hear this story on a regular basis. And again, I, I don't, I, I, have the, I have the utmost respect for the Wauwatosa Police Department, but I do, when I see a fight involving 35 people, I do go back to this question, how can you only arrest three? 
And what's the purpose of arresting three and then releasing them immediately to their parents? What have you solved? Not only have you arguably not discouraged the behavior, but you've reinforced it because you've said, hey, there's not going to really be any consequence. Mayfair needs to wake the heck up, period. It's the coronavirus. I'm heading to Walmart. What are you talking about, Jeff? I get that a lot. All right. This weekend, if you happen to be out shopping and you were at Costco or Walmart and it seemed to you that, God, it's a little more crowded than normal, if that was your perception, your perception was not wrong. It is because... People are stocking up. Costco's, Walmart's, and various other stores, I'm looking at a series of these stories about here, are reporting for the last couple weeks, and it's starting to increase, an unusually high number of customers at the store, and it seems to have increased on Friday and Saturdays. Stuff is flying off the stores. Antiseptic wipes. Clorox disinfecting wipes flying out of there. People are mostly purchasing water, paper goods, grains such as rice and pasta, jarred food, and peanut butter. And they're talking to a manager at Costco and the store I'm looking at saying they're doing everything they can to keep up with the demand. They're also talking about cleaning supplies going fast. And a number of stores, what they're saying is that the demand, the people showing up to shop, it is exceeding the Christmas rush. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I appreciate the coronavirus is nothing to fool around with. I, I get it. But my question is this. Are you at the point where you're going to, where we're going to treat this, or should we be treating this like we treat, I don't know, imminent reports that a hurricane is coming, or around here, an imminent report that a blizzard is going to hit? Is it time to be making the runs to the Walmarts, to the Costcos and whatever, and, and buying them out of peanut butter and buying them out of, of boxes of rice and buying them out of bottled water and buying them out of cleaning supplies? Or is that just, at least at this point in time, a crazy overreaction? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I never want to encourage people to be, you know, irresponsible. I, I get it. But I, I guess I'm looking at these stories, and feel free to argue me out of this. I'm looking at these stories the same way that I end up looking at the reports where, hey, we're going to get five or six inches of snow, and I find that people have made a run on the grocery stores, and there's no bread, and there's no milk. All right, at, at this point in time, I mean, look, I, I understand if you need to stock up on stuff, well, you, you stock up on stuff. But this idea that, oh, we're going to be in a point where we're not going to be able to get paper goods or we're not going to be able to get, you know, boxes of rice or pasta or peanut butter, and, and we've got to go and buy everything we can. To me, this is the same sort of hysteria that I, all, that I remember setting in back at the turn of the century which was 20 years ago, when we were dealing with the Y2K stuff. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to go survivalist and to 
run to Walmart or run to Costco and, and buy up all the stuff in, under the idea that, gee, you're, you're not going to be able to leave your house for three months. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not there yet. Joe in Wind Lake. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Long-time listener. I love your show. Thank you for calling. Uh, I was just telling you, you're welcome. I was telling your screener before that there's a video going around about the Lysol products, and it says on the back of the can of the Lysol spray that it kills 100% of viruses and stuff in here. And on the back it says kills the coronavirus on the can. So why? I wonder why this has not been uh, brought up to attention for well, TV or radio or whatever. I, I've never heard of that because it, it clearly, Lysol won't kill the coronavirus, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I mean, at least I don't know what it means by by that. Um, huh. it, says, it says right on the can because the, the person that did video it, I don't know if it's a scam or not, but the, he videoed it and showed the back of the can. It says kills the coronavirus right on the can yeah i so no, thanks to i mean i i you're, you're, we've quickly gone beyond my my knowledge level on on this whole thing i mean because i i, I mean I, I don't know what they mean by that do they mean that you know if you spray a countertop where somebody's touched it that it kills all viruses uh, may, maybe that's you know what what they mean now look i i guess here's how i, I kind of look at this whole thing I, and i'm i i am not downplaying the effect of of the coronavirus. Keep in mind, I'm the guy who argues that you should get a flu shot every year. And whenever I do that, I get all this this blowback. No, we don't need it. And only about, what, 37 or 40% of the people get flu shots. And they end up, people, you know, people who got flu shots get the flu. People who don't, they get the flu. Most people who get the flu, you're sick for a couple, which is a, a virus. You're sick for a couple days. And then you you recover, and and that's the same thing that's true with the coronavirus. I mean, it's the the people. What we've had two fatalities in the United States. Most people who get it, you know, get better. Now, again, if you're severely compromised immune system, very young, very old, well, then it, it it's like the flu. You know, it's like pneumonia. It's like any of those type of things. You know, if you've got a compromised health system, it's not going to be good. And I'm not advocating that anybody wants to get the coronavirus, but I, I don't, it's not like it's the plague. It's not going to kill the vast majority of people who have it. And I'm not going to compare it one way or the other to the flu. There's all sorts of people who are arguing about whether it's worse or whether it's better. I, I don't know about that. It, it's just nobody wants to get it, but it's not going to be fatal for most people. But I guess at the same time, I... I don't see that this need to panic. I'm not at the stage where I want to run out and, and stock my basement with bottled water and, and canned goods for this. I mean, I think it's something that you got to be mindful of, just like at the height of flu season, you got to be mindful of. Um, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to John in Waukesha. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Hi, John. Um, I think it doesn't hurt to be prepared. Uh, I actually did buy some water today at Costco just to have some peace of mind and some paper goods. But um, looking at the research I found, the mortality rate is like somewhere around 3%, and it affects, you know, certain age groups more, mainly those with other health problems and older demographics. So I think you should just be ready to have a bad cold, honestly, if it does, you know, come. What is unprecedented, though, is uh, the rate at which it's been um Yeah, it's, it's an infection. Uh, spread. It spreads. Yep, 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 yep. It, yeah, it's, it's, that's right. 
Right, and, and the that, fact that's, that's never been yeah. seen before. You know, they compare it to H1N1 and all those. The rate at which it spread is unprecedented. So I think the next coming days and weeks we'll, we'll learn more. But the mortality rate is low enough where I'm not super concerned. Right. No, thanks. And again, look, and I'm, I mean... I would never tell somebody that, hey, you know, for, I mean, there's all sorts, you can, you can have flooding in the spring. You know, I mean, I, I would never tell somebody that, oh, it's wrong to have, you know, a couple cases of bottled water in your basement or, you know, whatever. But but what I'm getting this idea is that you have people that are flocking there and are like stocking up six months supplies. Jeff, the far, at Costco in Sun Prairie told me that customers are requesting a year's worth of prescription medication from them. He said that Costco corporate cannot fulfill the request due to supply and demand I, I and i wonder how insurance i mean my my insurance doesn't let me renew my prescriptions for that i take every month makes me go in once a month to get them but I, again i i mean is this something is it something to be that you take seriously of course it's something you take seriously is this something that you you change your major lifestyle stuff over and i guess that's that's where i kind of wonder that's that's where i mean i'm not I'm not going to go out and buy a year's supply of of canned goods under the chance that, you know, the, this type of thing, you know, might might spread. I'm going to do the, the smart stuff. I walk around with hand sanitizer now. Um, I you know, that that's the type of things I make sure I wash my hands, etc. And I guess I, I'm in reasonably good health. And I'm figuring if you get it, you're going to be sick for a couple of days and then you're going to get better. Gina, Gina, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Okay, should we be running to Costco and buying them out of stuff? No, we should not. The CDC doctors online on radio are all saying treat this as the flu. Yeah. Get your flu shot. Wash your hands. If you are not in an immunocompressed state, stop panicking and don't buy everything out of stock because those that actually need it aren't going to have access to it, and that's very few of us at this point. Well, right. And again, it's right. You treat. I mean, I mean, I, I think that's to me, that's smart. And then what's the Surgeon General saying today? For God's sake, stop buying masks because they're really not going to help you with mm-hmm. this. You know, that, I, I, it, it's like, right. You, you want to be smart. Treat it like the flu season. Wash your hands. Prop, practice proper hygiene. You know, be be careful if you don't feel good. OK, you know, go get checked out. But see, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm not ready to go to Walmart and buy a year's worth of supplies for the basement. I, I just don't think it's going to be like that. So, no, I don't agree either. I think if that's important to you, I guess go ahead. But that's not where we're at at this point. And, and a lot of media outlets, not necessarily this one, no. but are causing mass hysteria, just continuing to have this as the latest news cycle. And we need to all take a step back breathe and just take care of ourselves like we should you know it's interesting gina it's interesting you say that because okay last weekend i'm in las vegas and so i i'm just i'm, I'm kind of channel surfing on the various network news station and I, by, by network i mean the cable thing i'm talking cnn and msnbc mm-hmm. and fox and my god it was just it was all coronavirus all the time and i understand it's a story and i understand it caused the stock market to go haywire last week but at some point in time i'm thinking aren't there isn't there something else going on in the world, especially given the fact that it's it's like the flu. I'm not minimizing it, but it's it's not the plague. 
No, no, thanks for calling. No, I know it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I was. I mean, I understand why people get worked up because, like I say, after it, it didn't matter what show I was on, it was all coronavirus all the time. I, I said to my wife, I said, I can't watch this anymore. I mean, and again, I'm not. I, I'm not trying to be stupid, and I'm not trying to be irresponsible about it. But it's like I'm. I'm not going to stop living my life. And I just. I remember. I've just in the last. 20 some years since I've been doing this job. I mean, I just remember it seems like we, we careen from, you know, almost one crisis to another. Oh, we, we've got the Y2K thing. And for six months leading up to Y2K, oh, you're, you know, the, the computers aren't going to work and your, you know, planes are going to start falling out of the sky. And, you know, what you have to do is you have to build a safe room and you have to stock up and buy a year's worth of stuff. And I'm like, I, I, maybe it'll come to that. But really, thus far, at least not me. But for those of you who are stocking up, can you send me your address and can maybe we come over if the if it gets really bad? Jordan, you and me and you know our close family members, we we'll think about doing that. This is Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Hey Jeff, my wife and kids and I are leaving for a trip in two weeks. Uh, my wife wanted to stock up on some hand sanitizer for the trip. Good luck trying to find that now. Most stores are completely sold out. Costco and Sam's Club completely sold out. Amazon completely sold out. I was able to find a small amount of travel size bottles that we're going to take with us, but it's unbelievable that you can no longer um, find hand sanitizer anywhere. Now that is interesting because that that I'm holding up my little bar, bottle of this now. That is uh, when when we went and and I'm the guy that's saying don't be alarmist and things like that, but. Uh, given that I wasn't feeling great last week and given the fact that you, you got all this, these different viruses, forget the coronavirus, just, you know, bad flu season, all that stuff going around. I did, I, I have been kind of like, you know, you know, born again hard when it comes to the hand sanitizer. So I carry my little bottle of hand sanitizer in my pocket and I do on, on multiple occasions. I've kind of, Jerry Seinfeld's a, a germphobe, a germaphobe, and he does that. And I, I have been using that a lot. To me, I don't think it's alarmist. I think that that, that does end up making a, a lot of sense. Now, how do I – see, here's the thing, and, and nobody, nobody knows exactly how this is going to play out. Last week, brutal for the stock market. And, and the reason is a number of factors, but – but there was there was a lot of panic that was involved in this. The concern was we are a global economy. So the concern was, OK, is this coronavirus, it, for example, it impacts China. So, you know, China's under quarantine. So they're closing the factory. So they're not buying goods from, say, America that go into parts that they make in China. Similarly, the Chinese people, if they're in quarantine, they're they're not running out. They're not buying cars. You know, so they're not they're not buying stuff or at least short term. So that's the fear. Similarly, in America, if we make we have manufacturing that relies on on parts that say come from China, and the factories in China are closed down. Well, that means sooner or later there's going to be a shortage of parts, and it's not just easy enough to snap your fingers and say, okay, we're going to get these parts from somewhere else. So that was all kind of this this big concern that then turned into what I believe was was a panic, which which you know, but that's what happens a lot of times in the stock market. You react to this stuff. So yeah, I mean, the stock market dropped a couple thousand points. I continue. Um, is it the sign of a global recession starting? Yeah, maybe. I just tend to think it was kind of a panic. So, 
but how does this all play out? And it's interesting. The Washington Post has a piece on on this, and and they say, okay, there's a couple. We don't know exactly how it's going to go, but there's 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 a couple ways this plays out. First of all, health officials get control of the coronavirus through public health measures. And it goes back to, you know, when SARS, you know, severe acute respiratory syndrome first hit Asia in 2002, it was scary. Fatality rate of about 10% and no drug shown to be effective. Okay, SARS, fatality rate lots higher than the coronavirus, but within months, SARS was brought under control and pretty much stamped out by, you know, a number of just the isolation and quarantine and contact tracing. Okay, so that's that's one option, and that's what happened with SARS. Another option is that it, it hits some of the less developed countries, and it, it gets worse. I guess that's a potential. You know, you get into some places that don't have the medical advances. Um, third option is that it spreads, and it simply becomes a, a fact of, of life. And, you know, that's, that's what happened in 2005 with the H1, 2009 with the H1N1 outbreak. It, it's, you know, it turned into just a version of the flu. And, and we just became used to it. And you recognize that, okay, you, you know, during the flu season, you've, you've got to be mindful, you know, of this. But at the end of the day, you know, the hope is that they develop a vaccine. And if it does spread and become kind of ubiquitous, you know, a, a vaccine would be something that would be desirable to have. Of course, the problem is, just like you got people that don't like to get flu shots, don't you know, there there's going to be people that resist getting that vaccine. But I guess at the end of the day, I look at this and say, you don't want to be stupid about this, and I appreciate it, it makes sense to quarantine people who have been infected. It makes sense to take all these different measures. But as far as believing that this is going to be the thing that that craters the global economy, destroys the travel industry, it's way too soon for that. I mean, maybe it'll be that case, but I don't want to be alarmist until it's time to be alarmist. And that's not right now. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Who thinks up these things? Now, out in Wauwatosa, and I want to say at the beginning, I, I don't guess I really have too big a problem with what they're talking about other than the fact that this seems like the kind of idea that happens when you get a couple of aspiring elected officials together who think that they can use legislation to solve problems. All right, drunken, let's start with the premise. Drunken driving is a huge problem. We do not want people getting drunk and getting behind the wheel of the car, making, making that decision. We want to do everything we can to discourage people from doing that. So I understand. All right. So, but what's what's the biggest problem with drunk driving? Well, it's it's the drunks themselves. It's the people who I'm I'm going to drive home because normally if if you're in the bag, your 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 judgment process is kind of is kind of screwed up to begin with. So here's their their approach to drunken driving in Wauwatosa. Now follow me on this. In Wauwatosa. You are not allowed to park overnight on the streets between three and six in the morning. All right, you, you're, that, that that's their, their rule. Okay, a lot of communities have that. 
there are exceptions to the rule. Right now, if, let's say it's the owner, um, if the car is the guest of a resident and adequate parking on the premises is not available, you can call the police department and you can say, hi, this is Jeff, I live on 76th Street, I have, I have a, my, my kid is staying with me, his car is going to be parked on the street outside my house. All right, and you give the police, presumably the license plate, and you're all set, and, and they'll let you park there. Okay, that, that makes sense. Um, if the vehicle is disabled, you can call the police, and you can say, hey, my car my car's broken down. I can't get it towed till the next morning. Um, it's going to stay overnight. You call the police, and, and you can avoid getting a ticket. Um, the third excuse is that if the driveway of the owner or operator is obstructed, so presumably, I don't know if you've got like a dumpster in your garage, in your driveway or something like that. But you get you, you call the police, you give them the make and the model and and you can get permission, all of which is perfectly, perfectly reasonable. OK, so here is their latest idea. They want to they want to change the ordinance, modify the ordinance to say, number one, if you are too drunk to drive your car. You can leave your car on the street, right? Now, number two, though, you have to call the police. So you you have to call the police and say, hello, I'm too drunk to drive my car, so I'm going to leave it where wherever it is. And then you'll be able to leave it there without a ticket. But but you can't just, like, like drop your car. If, if you didn't have to call... What would happen is everybody would just leave their cars on the street and then after the fact say, well, I, I, I was concerned I had had too much to drink, so I let it, left it there. Now, their, their thinking is, uh, again, we want to give people options. We don't want to force somebody into a situation where they don't know what to do with their car, so they don't have anybody to drive them home, so they make the decision to drive when they know they shouldn't. So I get it. It's, it's well-intentioned. But... You have to call the police. So this is the scenario. Presumably, you're at the bar. You're too liquored up to drive home. And then what you do is you have to find, number one, a ride home. And number two, then you have to call the police and say, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm so liquored up. I can't drive my car, so I'm going to just be leaving it here, and I'll get it in the morning. It sounds, I, I guess, good in theory. And I, and I understand the, the idea behind this. But I'm wondering in the real world, that that is the world that all of us live in, is this going to do anything meaningful to combat drunk driving, given the fact that at least it's my belief that that most people who get behind the wheel of the car think that they're okay to drive? Our number, just one segment, I'm... 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, if Waukesha wants to, if Waukesha, if Wauwatosa wants to do this, that, that's, that, that, that's fine. It might mean maybe a couple more phone calls for the, the police, but that, that's, that, that's okay. I don't see that as being a, a significant nuisance. My question is, is, is this going to have any broad effect? Now, might, might somebody call every once in a while? Maybe. But I guess I'm looking at this thinking, all right, if, if the caveat is you've got to, number one, realize you're too drunk to drive, and then number two, you've got to place that phone call to the police. I, 
will occasionally people do it and then maybe not drive? And is that good if it keeps one drunk driver off the road? Yeah, it is. But is this really going to make a dent in the drunken driving problem? Will people really end up in the real world? Will they end up doing this in any numbers? 855-616-1620. That's uh, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I am skeptical about it. If you really wanted this to be effective, what you would do is you would eliminate the requirement that you call the police. Because that that's I think that's a lot to ask somebody who's drunk. I understand, though, if you eliminate the responsibility that you call the police, what means is and then everybody's just going to be leaving their cars overnight on the streets of, of Wauwatosa, drunk or, or not. Um, let's see. Let's start with John in West Dallas. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, John. Um, I actually think this is probably a good idea. Um, I mean, the cities, they make a lot of money off of parking tickets. So that's just the reality, and they're not going to undo that and give away all that money. Um, but this kind of is a, a good halfway measure. Uh, it gives people the option. And you think, um, Let me ask you this. Do you think any, any, any significant number of people would take advantage of this? Because I mean, um, that's what I'm having problems with. Not a huge number. With. Yeah. Not, not a huge number, but, but some will, and it shows that the city is at least trying their best. Again, they're not going to give up all their parking ticket revenue, but this at least shows that they're you know making an effort, and people do you know use Uber and stuff like that. Um, so uh, you know it, it, it's a, a fairly decent option. I'd say it's fairly reasonable. Well, I mean, I think the interesting thing to do, I mean, maybe try it as a pilot program and and see. And I guess the example you're talking about is the one where. You know, maybe maybe I could see that the idea that you you weren't planning to get liquored up. You drive to the bar, you have too much to drink, and then you decide, well, I, I'm gonna I'm going to Uber home, uh, but I don't you know I, I don't know what I would do with my car. So I, I mean I don't want to call somebody to have to drive it, so I'll call the police. I, I I guess I understand that intellectually how it could work. I will be curious as to whether knowing human nature being what it is whether or not they they really people would really do this jeff in chicago they have one-time use stickers that they give to the homeowners in their tax bill um they then have to buy extras also bars in the area sell them for a couple bucks i i mean i don't want is this a is this a an idea that's going to create all sorts of problems no because i think as a practical matter almost nobody is going to take advantage of this i mean i just i, I don't see the police being some people are saying oh it's going to lead to like traffic congestion i just don't see the police department being swamped with calls on a friday night at at one o'clock in the morning saying hey i'm too drunk to drive i'm ubering home so this is my car this is where it is maybe a call maybe something here and there let's talk to zachary in waukesha zachary you're on wtmj hey jeff thanks for having me on um i don't i don't uh, fight against drunk driving i mean if it helps if it has one last drunk driver on the road you know i'm sure some people say hey it works so we have one last off off the road but i don't I don't think it's really going to help that much because, again, when you're drinking, you know, you're, you know, you're liquid right. courage, you know, you're on top right. of the world. I could make it all. I could make it all. Which is I've what the problem drinking is. Drinking for right. years. Yeah, which is the, the true problem. But, you know, the, the city of Milwaukee has a great call in. Um, call in. I mean, you don't have to call into the police, and you can do it ahead of time, which I told uh, the, the screener, you know, I was like, 
you know, if you're planning out a good time, hey, we're going out, we're going to have a bunch of drinks, uh, we're going to have a bunch of drinks, and, you know, watch us, it is having a little bit of a younger crowd now in it. And, uh, you know, you can just plan ahead. Hey, uh, you know, before you go to the bar, you joke, like, all right, we're on right by... Well, whatever, you take right and see. And I, I, by the way, that has been one of the big advantages of of Uber and Lyft and the ride sharing services. I know a number of people. Look, my my days of my my days of going out and, and going bar hopping, even when I'm in Las Vegas, are, are past me. You know, it's kind of like okay, it's it's time to go home. But I mean, I do know people younger than me who that that's that's the idea. Hey, we're going out. We're gonna we're gonna hit a bunch of bars, whether it's you know downtown bars, or whether it's bars along um, State Street in Wauwatosa or whatever. I mean, I. And, and and I understand the the planning ahead is we're going to take Uber and, and that's just kind of the plan we're going to take Uber there we're going to take Uber back and I, I think that's been one of the great things again with the ride sharing services because it it gives people an incentive to be responsible then we don't have to worry about it you know we we're just we're not going to have to worry about drinking or driving and I think that's great that's why I, I'm not I'm not going to beat up Walwatosa for this but at the same time it, it it's that step of calling the police and saying, hey, I'm too drunk to drive, and so I'm just going to be leaving my car, that's the one that I think makes it more difficult. If you really want to discourage that, you'd let you'd let people park overnight, or you'd let them, again, buy a sticker or something from the bar. I think it's worth a try. I'm just not sure it's going to make too much difference. This is Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. Okay, so Jordan, producing the show today while Gru is wherever Gru is. The uh, You're a fan of Judge Judy? I am a big fan, yep. You are a, well, the news with Judge Judy is that after 25 seasons of dispensing her own brand of justice, you know, on, on television, <laughs> uh, she she's calling it quits. Now, there's an asterisk I'll explain in a minute. But next season, she's going to... Do, and and they, they tape all these shows well in advance. But there's going to be one more season of first-run shows starting this fall through the spring. So she's going to do the 2020 to 2021 season. And then she's going to call it quits and take a little bit of time off. And then her production company is going to come back a year later with another show called Justice Judy. Judy Justice. Um, and they're, they're not saying what that's going to be. They're not saying if it's going to star her or whether it's going to star somebody else or what the format's going to be. But one more year of Judge Judy. Now, the interesting thing is that she is one of the very highest paid performers on TV. She makes, Jordan, would you like to guess how much money she makes a year? I think I saw the number, so I actually forgot the number, but I'm going to guess it was like $600 million. No, no. 40, well, I mean, oh, it, you mean per year? $47 million oh, year. a year. Okay. She has paid $47 million a year. Now, I look, I far be it for me to criticize anybody for making every dime they can. Okay, so $47 million. Now, during the break, you had asked me, saying, hey, Jeff, you know, you're, you're an attorney. Do, do you like it? And I, I will say, I just... I don't think I've ever watched more than like 10 minutes at a time of the show. Now, this Judge Judy is a variation 
of there, there used to be a thing called the People's Court. I don't know if it's still on, but it was with like Judge Wapner or something like that. And I remember back when I was in law school, they, they had the People's Court. And then she kind of then Judge Judy came in. And then there was a time there was Judge Joe. I don't know if these shows are still on, but there was a time where it seems like you couldn't turn on the TV without having a some judge show on where they had, you know, these people that had these small claims sort of cases that were in and and, um, you know, pleading their cases and all. Um, I. I never got into them just because I, I just I just for whatever reason I didn't. Maybe it's just kind of like too much like work or, or whatever like that. But clearly you, you look at, at Judge Judy and you look at the success that she has had and the money that she's making and her longevity. And look, I, I, I will tell you, anytime you find people, whether it's in, in TV or radio um, or you know, syndicated columnists or whatever. Anytime you find people that have th- this longevity, the people that last five and ten and fifteen and twenty and twenty-five years, that tells me that even if they're not everybody's cup of tea, they're doing something right because it's a very very competitive business, and you you wouldn't last that long unless you had a loyal following and advertisers that liked you. And so, I mean, Judy is doing something right, even though, again, Judge Judy isn't necessarily my my type of show. One segment, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I leave this as an open-ended question. Are you a fan of Judge Judy? And what is it about the show that keeps you coming back day after day after day because one of the things that i found in and again i the times i would watch it would be more like i'm in a hospital waiting room you know it's you're you're <laughs> no it's true that that's that's i remember sitting in i remember sitting in hospital waiting rooms for example and the thing is on and you end up watching it and i and and i found I guess I found there to be a sameness about it. I mean, it all at the end of the day, it all seemed to be like different variations of one of three or four sorts of problems. And it got kind of boring to me pretty quick. But again, I'm taking nothing away from the the success and the longevity she had. Okay, so what is it about the show that gave it the legs that it had for 25 years, $47 million a year for the star? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. So what's the appeal of Judge Judy? If you're just tuning in, the, the Judge Judy show's been on the air for 25 years. She makes $47 million a year. She's announced that she's wrapping up this iteration of it. Next season will be the final season. She says she's going to take some time off and then come back with something they call Judy Justice that they they haven't announced what that is or whether it's going to feature her or, or what exactly, again, it's going to entail. But she's obviously been incredibly successful. What is her appeal? 855-616-1620. Mark in West Bend. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, why has Judge Judy been able to succeed all these years? I just love the way she talks to idiots with no common sense and says whatever she wants, the way I wish I could do so in my job, but I can't. So I guess I live vicariously through her in a way. So that, that it's kind of, no, I, I, I get it. because I mean, I do wonder. The, the, the people, and again, I haven't seen that many of them, but the people that go on that show, you know, you, you do just want to kind of like, you know, just slap them upside the head thinking, you know, what what did you think was going to happen? And, and they, either they're idiots or they're people who are just desperate to be on TV or both sometimes. 
Yeah. Exactly. And she has a real chronological way of breaking people's stories down that is actually very intelligent. And after a while, you kind of pick up and, and can actually help you out as well. Okay. Well, thank, I mean, well, uh, clearly she's very, very good at what she does. And there is that, that entertainment factor. I have two or three texts here that all say the same thing. And it comes down to she doesn't take any crap from anybody. <laughs> That's kind of the way it's, that, that it's kind of that appeal. Now, again, I, I, I get it, and I'm to, to me, like I say, there's sort of a sameness. And yes, she doesn't take crap, but it's it's like when I would would watch it, it's like it's the same. I, I understand they're different morons, but it's kind of like the, the same. It, it's it's different. It, all right, it, I understand it's a different moron, but it, it's really it's the same moron over and different over. Different levels of more moron. Well, it's the same people. I mean, I, again, they're different people, but it's the same. <laughs> just just dumb that, yeah. that's out there. And it seems like everybody who's on her show, I mean, is just intimidated by her. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you know what to expect when you're on that show, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just okay. Well, you know, here's a text, Judge. Well, you do know what to expect you you know and again i think i think some of the people that do this i mean they go on because they they want to be on tv and they think that this is going to it's it's i see i for the life of me do not understand melissa i do not understand why people go on these reality shows here i'm i'm going to go on on uh big brother and like live in this house and this is going to like start my movie career and i'm going to be discovered really right or that one what was it naked and scared or something out in the jungle i'm proud that i've never watched that on discovery that doesn't appeal to me at all (laughs) Um, but it, but it's, it's, well, okay. I was on TV every day for like seven years. It, it, get over it. It's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, talk, talk to people, talk to the people who are like news reporters. Anybody who thinks that there's glamour to being, for example, a TV reporter. Now, now maybe if you're, maybe if you're covering international affairs, it's, it's different, but local TV reporter, you think there's any glamour or cachet to it? Talk to them after they've been outside a truck stop in Fond du Lac in a blizzard for about the third time. <laughs> you, you get know, over it real fast. Right, right, right. <laughs> Waiting for oh I, I've got I've got my like forty seconds spot here oh yeah it's snowing like hell here we are and then if it's I'm, I'm just saying for people who think that but but that's but of course you wouldn't have reality TV I was going to say you wouldn't have a show if if it wouldn't have people, have people like that, that uh, there okay I love Judge Judy and again I'm not knocking Judge Judy I have the deepest respect for anybody that has that longevity uh, her style reminds me a lot of the way discipline used to be back when I was a kid she gets right to the meat of the matter and takes care of business doesn't put up with any BS or political correctness I would sort of compare her to if you remember when American Idol first came on Simon Cowell had the same sort of cut Persona, to the chase yeah. you know no BS kind of thing that's what Judge Judy has and I, I think think ultimately people like that they want to hear that no i think i think you're right yeah. and and of course it's one of those shows that makes everybody feel smarter because it, it doesn't and by that you watch this and it, and it doesn't matter how smart you are how not smart you are you see these people that go on and you go God, I'm not that person. <laughs> no, really. I'm not that bad. I, I mean, I, I boy, I, I that's don't, true. I, right? No, it is. It's like I, I feel good about myself. Wow, because, you walk away from that show right, going, yeah, I, I'm I, doing I, pretty good. Well, right. I just, I just locked my keys in my car and left the car running, and now I've got the tow truck coming. And I, I at but, least I didn't do that. Right? Exactly. Yeah, right. You know, I'm not. Hey, hey, buddy. You know, give her back the pictures or, or whatever. Right, so right. I mean, I think that there is there is that appeal. My favorite text of the day, Jordan. Jeff, you come back and the Dow's up big. Dow's up over 900 points. Don't leave us for that long anymore. Okay, well, I I only wish that my presence 
a calming presence on the radio, could have averted the route last night. Because trust me, somebody said, well, how'd you end up doing in Las Vegas? And my response was, I did a lot better in Las Vegas last weekend than I did in the stock market last week. But um, actually... Came back ahead. I found a I found a video poker machine in the MGM Grand that was kind of like a an ATM. It was my my brother's sitting next to me, and I keep hitting like these four of a kinds. He's going, "What about me? You know, I'm you're, I'm watching you, you know." And he's you know putzing around, but life isn't fair. I told him, Scotty, life is not fair. By the way, if you want to see a couple, I I don't post a lot of this stuff on on Twitter, but I, there's a couple. There's a couple pictures, including one of my wife's very favorite photos of my brother and I, and there, there's a couple photos, including uh, when we go to Las Vegas, Fran and I always try to do a date night, and this week, this time, we did the um, date night at the Blue Man Group show, which I had never, I, I mean, I knew what Blue Man Group was, but I'd never seen the show before, and it was, it was, it was, it was entertaining, so we got a, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 we've got a couple um, pictures from uh, various spots in Las Vegas that are up there, one of my favorite places but no i'm uh i am i'm around for uh at least several months now several months i will be here five days a week good lord will and creek don't rise all right one of the other things that that happened in the last 24 hours is the the number of people running for president have declined dramatically big news are is that last night um South Bend, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg announced that he was dropping out of the race. The reports that I am seeing is that he intends to be in Texas tonight at a rally where he's going to endorse Joe Biden. That's the report. And Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, who uh, she announced, she dropped out, announced earlier today that she was dropping out. She's apparently going to be at the same rally tonight where she is going to be endorsing Joe Biden as well. So what you're seeing is a lot of the, or at least some of them, what I'm going to describe as the peripheral, peripheral candidates, the, the Mayor Pete's, Amy Klobuchar, who I, I think, you know, ran interesting campaigns, guerrilla, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, uh, campaigns, and, and achieved some degree of success. I mean, Mayor Pete had decent showings, for example. Amy Klobuchar, not quite as much. But, I mean, I think they contributed to the dialogue and it finally got to the point where they realized with Super Tuesday coming up tomorrow, they're, they're, they're just they're a spoiler. They're, they're not going to win the Democratic nomination this time. And so rather than continue to potentially siphon votes away from somebody other than Bernie Sanders, they've decided to kind of clear the deck. So now you essentially have Bernie Sanders, who is the darling of the kook left. You have Elizabeth Warren, who wanted to be the darling of the kook left, but hasn't really been able to get any traction. She's hanging on like grim death. Elizabeth Warren's not going anywhere. I mean, I maybe after Super Tuesday, she'll have no money and no choice. Uh, but, but Elizabeth Warren, she's not going anywhere. You've got Joe Biden, whose campaign, you know, completely resurgent after the big win in South Carolina. And then you've got uh, Mike Bloomberg, who is the the complete... The, the complete and total wild card in, the, in this whole thing. I mean, Bloomberg, who has done a incredibly poor job in both debates, but who has spent hundreds of millions of dollars. Something I was looking at, say, by the time all is said and done, he might have spent a million, a billion, B as in billion dollars advertising in all the, these states. And of course, if you see the Bloomberg advertising, it creates, you know, when, when you're, when you're, 
doing this advertising, you create this impression that's completely different than the one that you give when you're in an unscripted sort of setting on on a debate stage. But nobody knows at this point in time, you know, what the effect of all those those advertising dollars are going to be. We'll have a better idea Tuesday night, Wednesday morning um, as to whether Bloomberg can be seriously competitive or not. But Bloomberg, he doesn't appear like he's going anywhere. So it looks like those are going to be the four candidates. And I, I understand that there might be a couple of the fringe ones that are left. But really, at this point, we're at Biden, Bloomberg, a complete wild card, Elizabeth Warren hanging on like grim death, and, and Bernie Sanders, who has, again, mobilized the the militant left, who which appears to be about 30 to 35 percent of the Democrat Party, which is is enough it's enough to have him continue winning primaries if you've got a whole bunch of candidates that are out there, not necessarily enough to have him winning primaries if it's just, for example, him and, and Joe Biden. Uh, that's that's what's going on here. As far as uh, Buddha Judge and, and Amy Klobuchar, I I give them credit. And again, let's let let's let's take aside. Okay, you know you know this is a conservative talk show, but let's take that aside. I mean, I think. I think they they ran good spirited campaigns. I thought they both did a good job, you know, at the various debates. It just it just wasn't their time. That that's just kind of the reality. But I don't think either one of them did anything to hurt themselves, you know, four years from now or eight years down the road. And as I said earlier in the show, I, I think Amy Klobuchar, if if Joe Biden ends up getting the Democrat nomination. I would not at all be surprised if he would reach out to Amy Klobuchar and say, hey, I want you to be my vice presidential candidate. Um, she's, she's from, you know, the Midwest, you know, part of the country that, that, you know, he, he needs, he needs somebody that can, can, can campaign in Iowa. He needs somebody that can campaign in Wisconsin and in Michigan and in Pennsylvania. I mean, he needs, uh, you know, somebody from the Midwest would not hurt with the geographical balance of the ticket. And I mean, I think she's, I think she's shown she could be a, a good campaigner. So you, you have a very, very volatile situation here. A lot of people are predicting Bernie Sanders is going to do really, really well tomorrow. Here's, I'm going to say this now so I can say I told you so on, on Wednesday morning. You, first, you have to understand, Bernie Sanders may very, very do well do well in, in, in California, he might beat Elizabeth Warren in her home state of Massachusetts, which if that happens, that might be the final death blow to the Warren campaign. But I have to tell you something. Unless Michael Bloomberg does better than I think he's going to do, um, Bernie Sanders is in trouble in about half the states because about half the delegates that are going to be decided tomorrow are from the South. And... Bernie Sanders does not do well in the South. Bernie Sanders does not play well as a general rule with Southern Democrats. And so, you know, it's one thing for him to do well in the Northeast, like he will. It's one thing for him to do well in the People's Republic of California, which he will. But you, you flip it over and you say, okay, you know, how, how are you going to do in these Southern primaries? And the answer is he's not going to do very well. The only question becomes, will he do well enough? Will Mike Bloomberg siphon enough votes away from Joe Biden 
to hurt the Biden campaign and give Bernie a boost. That's kind of the way I, I see this. And I just I, I don't know because I haven't been on the ground there and I haven't seen, you know, all the Bloomberg ads that are running. I'm just not sure how Mike Bloomberg, you know, a quintessential billionaire New Yorker, I don't know how he's going to play in the South either. But right now it strikes me as Bloomberg being the spoiler to Biden. At the end of the day, I still think it's going to come down to Biden and to uh, Bernie Sanders. And it's going to be interesting. I'm not I don't know that I think this is going to be decided before uh, Milwaukee. Well, won't that be interesting? We'll be there to discuss it. Yes, and we will be there. I'm going to be broadcasting my show from Radio Row in the heart of the Democratic National Convention. That'll be an interesting thing. I have a brochure. I have. I didn't go, but I have my credentials from the last Republican National Convention. Oh, so we'll be doing the one uh, from here as well. Back with more in just a minute. I often wonder if, if there's a point where you have so much money that it just doesn't matter. Now, we were talking about, like, Mike Bloomberg, who they estimate, you know, might by the end of tomorrow have spent over a billion dollars in ads, and he hasn't been on a ballot yet. And the question, of course, is going to be, I don't know, is all this advertising, is that going to make any sort of difference at all? But one of the other stories that's out there is that Tom Steyer, who's a 62-year-old the hedge fund manager who was doing his own Don Quixote tilting at windmills, who was on a number of the debate stages and things like that, he, he dropped out on, on Saturday. He had spent, they, they estimate, about $300 million dollars. In his campaign, $300 million. Now, he's got a lot of money, but but he, he spent $300 million in this campaign that generated, like, almost almost nothing. Now, the estimates I'm looking say that he's, you know, he's worth about, like, $1.8 billion. But, you know, let's say he spent $300 million, which is still, that's a good chunk of change. Now, I am wondering, he's got four kids. I'm wondering if there is a point in time where the four kids collectively sit down with dad and say dad are you on drugs i mean you've just i i understand you got a lot of money but that that's my inheritance that you're spending on all those stupid ads and nobody wants to hear what you are selling dad we're the stock market is going down for goodness sakes you got the coronavirus i understand stock market's not down today and, and you just you just dropped 20 percent of your fortune on a bunch of tv ads that got you nowhere for or do you kind of say well, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, so dad just peed $300 million away. What difference does it make? There's more where that comes from. No, no. That would have been an interesting problem to have. I did not have to have that conversation with my father. Other conversations, maybe, but not that one. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.